Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya. That's Creole for something extra. You might know that Massachusetts was the first state in the nation to abolish slavery, but you probably haven't heard how a black man named Quack Walker was instrumental in making that happen. Back in 1754, the state census counted 4,500 enslaved people in Massachusetts. Walker, born to enslaved black people, was one of them. He self-emancipated at 28 years old. His punishment for leaving was a brutal beating by his former enslaver. Walker took his case to court where he won his freedom. The Walker legal victory became precedent, leading to slavery's abolishment in the state. Fast forward to 2022, and Massachusetts is on track to make Quack Walker Day a state holiday, also known as Massachusetts Emancipation Day. Why has it taken so long to learn the story of emancipation in Massachusetts? And will Quack Walker become a household name? Joining me now, Massachusetts State Senator Cindy Friedman, elected in 2017 to represent the 4th Middlesex District, which includes Arlington, Billerica, Burlington, Woburn, and precincts of Lexington. She filed the Quack Walker Day bill, which passed the state Senate in February. Welcome, Senator Friedman. Hi, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to have you. Also with me, Sean Osborne, founder of the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington. Welcome back, Sean. Hi, Kelly. Great to be here. Um, Sean, you joined me a little bit ago to talk about the black citizens, or maybe they weren't quite citizens at that point, a part of Lexington's revolutionary history who are now being acknowledged uh, because of your efforts and some of the work by the historians in the area and the museums. And so this would seem to be a continuation of that. Um, how did you come to be focused on Quack Walker? And by the way, who is he? Thank you, Callie. And I, I loved your your synopsis of his story. I came upon Quack Walker um, by accident. A, a friend of mine, Valerie Tutson from Rhode Island, uh, introduced me to the story of Mumbet. And in doing the research for Mumbet, I discovered that her court case, which is similar in, in timeline of Quack Walkers in 1781, um, was actually Brahm and Mumbet. And so I tried to find where the, where the guy was, where Brahm went. And so as my, I researched for Brahm, I came upon Quack Walker and then discovered that Quack Walker had filed his civil case for assault slightly before Mumbet filed her case, and that Quack Walker had two more cases, and that all white male jurors voted for justice, voted for Quack Walker, agreed with the Massachusetts Supreme Court that the new constitution made chattel slavery illegal. Yeah, Elizabeth Mumbet Freeman, she named herself or renamed herself after uh, she was out of enslavement. I mean, these are fascinating stories because I'm imagining that uh, people listening to this are thinking, wait a minute, enslaved people or formerly enslaved people filed lawsuits and won? Uh, it's hard to get your head around what was happening in Massachusetts. First of all, we have to acknowledge that there was enslavement in Massachusetts. Senator Friedman, you may know that a lot of people are just coming to terms with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think what's so fascinating for me and why this was so compelling, besides how compelling Sean Osborne is, um, is that I didn't know any of this. My kids never learned any of this. Um, and it's especially interesting because it, it, you would think it would be something that we would let people know about, right? That this, this state took the very clear step of saying slavery is unconstitutional. And um, so it was it was quite a surprise to me when I learned this story. Mm. And just to be clear, Sean contacted you and you put in motion a bill to make Quack Walker Day a reality. Yes, I think we started out with a resolution that we wanted to to have done uh, last year or the year before. And I think then we quickly decided that this is something that should become permanent and should we should do through legislation. So Quack Walker's story, as we've you know tried to explain a couple times here, requires a lot of unpacking because Massachusetts itself, as we've said, um, was home to many enslaved people. So after the passage of the Constitution, it ended up, it's as history would have it, that there were people here who were, quote, I'm using air quotes, property, and also people who were here who were, quote, free. And Quack thought he was a free man, really, from the earliest part of his life because he was promised his freedom by his first enslaver, property owner, James Caldwell. Talk about the twist and turn of his story, though, so that James Caldwell didn't end up giving him his freedom, Sean, but not because he changed his mind, but because of something else. Right. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, so, so James Caldwell promises Quack Walker his his freedom at age 25, and then he is killed in a storm where a branch falls on him, um, killing James Caldwell and injuring Quack's father. And and then Quack's father heals, and in my mind, gives Quack his last name. Mm. So Quack. His father walked away, um, and and a few years later, Quack is now known as Quack Walker. He gives himself his name while he's enslaved, hmm. uh, and the the widow, as as a means of enticing Quack Walker from leaving, like his father did, says, "Oh no, no, I will free you when you turn twenty one." And then she remarries, and dies shortly before his 21st birthday. Her widower decides that he's inherited a very good farmhand and, and, and others as well in her estate and is not going to follow through with the Caldwell's wishes. Now that was Nathaniel Jennison and apparently he, from the beginning, never was sort of, you know, going along with these people are not property. As far as he was concerned, they were. So when she died, you know, that just made it something that he could be clear about. Correct. That's, that, that, is, that is the personality of Nathaniel Jennison. Okay. So Nathaniel Jennison says, no, you can't um, have your freedom. I know other people promised it to you, but too bad. And so there he is um, and possibly would have just you know, lived out his days working for Nathaniel Jennison, but he decided to take a step that some people had taken. But I, I guess he felt 
confident that he would be okay with it. And that was, he left Sean Osborne. Right. And that's the beautiful thing about his story is not only did he feel confident in his, in the idea that he was, he was free, right? He had, he had worked through his contract thinking of himself almost like the, um, in, the white indentured servants, right? I have a contract and my contract says that it's, it's due at age 21 or 25. And so he surpasses that. He waits until he's 28 to not run away, but to walk away mm-hmm. to um, a, a, another Caldwell farm um, and work there, not for free, not for room and board, but for pay. And, and it's, it's, it's that faith in the promises made and the community that, that, that is b- bigger than just Jenison and what in Jenison's will, but also in himself and thinking that I'm not worried about where I will sleep tomorrow because I know that I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And these people will pay me what I'm worth so that I can continue to sustain myself. Okay, so he does that. He's there. But Nathaniel Jennison, as we've described, is not one that does subscribe to the fact that he was indentured or able to walk away. So he goes over there to get him and um, the situation turns violent and he brutally beats him. And then after that, Quag decides to take his life in his own hands again and go through the court system to demand that... uh, this guy be charged for not only assault and battery, but that he should make the case that he's a free man. Correct. Again, the audacity. Exactly. Right. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that, we need to remind people this is a 17, you know, 80s. <laughs> this is not the, you know, 2080s. This is the 1780s. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the 1780s. This is someone um, that while his parents may have, known a world outside of 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 the colony of Massachusetts. Its parents may have been were likely born to an Akan tribe in Western Africa, which is now people know as as a Ghana. But he has no conscious memories of a life where he can make those decisions. Right. And yet he comes to that conclusion and more importantly it, it, it works out for him. And I think it works out for him because what we, what we see in the, the court records is he keeps going back to the promise. Mm. He keeps going back to, I did my part, I fulfilled my contract, and you as a jury should, should agree um, with that. And, and what's interesting about that time period of the late, 1770s and early 80s is that Kwok Walker wasn't alone. There were other freedom cases and many of them were successful. And they were successful based upon verbal contracts. Mm-hmm. And also successful based on the fact that in 1780, Massachusetts Constitution said all men are free and equal. And it said men And it didn't really mean women, and it really certainly didn't mean enslaved people. But as you refer to other people, Elizabeth Mumbet Freeman, she was Mumbet at the time, was working in the house 
where people who were precursors to signing the Declaration of Independence, like this is a wild story, and listening to them say, as they're drawing up the Constitution, well, all men are free and equal. And she's thinking to herself, well, doesn't that mean me? And so then she has the nerve to go to court as well. But back to Quack Walker, the brutal beating now, he's trying to drag him back to, you know, where he was working with him, Nathaniel Jennison was, away from the Caldwells, where he had been working not for free, but as a free man earning a living, as he thought he would be at this point. And then now it turns to the court and it ends up the Quack Walker story is really involved in three cases. And one of them is a countersuit by Nathaniel Jennison, who says, um, you people, the Caldwells, have taken my property, quote unquote, and, you know, that's offensive to me and you owe me. Quack Walker's case in which he says this was assault and battery and also another case saying, hey, I'm a free man and I should be declared so. This story is so interesting that it's gotten the attention of other people who are just learning it. And so here's a clip from YouTuber Jazz of Black Gems Unearthed talking about what happened during the Quack Walker cases. The prosecution and the defense focused their arguments around the status of Quack, whether he was a free man or whether he was property. Because if he was property as a slave, then technically they could justify Nathaniel's action because people can do what they like to their property no matter how terrible it may seem. But at some point of the case, the Chief Justice William Cushing said to the jury, yo, okay, he didn't say yo, but follow me here. <laughs> he said to the jury, it doesn't make any sense to argue over the status of Quok, not with our new constitution of Massachusetts. Slavery is inconsistent with this new constitution because it says that all men are born free and equal and that all individuals or all subjects are entitled to liberty that is protected by the law. In fact, uh, Quok said when asked, I am a free man and not the proper Negro slave of the said Nathaniel. The cases are weird, Senator Friedman, in that he won the assault and battery cases. He asked for 300 pounds and they, they awarded him 50. Then the second case with Nathaniel Jennison won, which would seem contradictory, but I guess it's not. And they gave him a little money. And then the third one, of course, was about his freedom was in question. And they said, yes, of course, as she said, Cushing said, yo, <laughs> yeah, he is, according to the Constitution. So, Cindy Freeman, since you didn't know, but you have gotten this bill so far in the state house, I wonder if the fact that Juneteenth, we just finished celebrating Juneteenth, which is, of course, the day that the folks who were in Texas finally got the word that, in fact, the Emancipation Proclamation, which had been declared two years earlier, applied to them. And so, in fact, they were also free. I wonder if Juneteenth, in this situation as you see it, is helpful in bringing to light interest in making a Quack Walker Day to, to honor this history in Massachusetts? Or maybe people feel like, well, we got the federal holiday now. Do we have to talk about this guy, too? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I think it's very useful, okay, because I think Juneteenth, it's like a big public awareness campaign that this happened in the United States, and very few people know about it. I mean, I knew about the Emancipation Proclamation. I certainly didn't know it took two and a half years to actually get that information to people in Texas. But I say that it's like a big public awareness campaign is that 
when you look at what happened with Juneteenth, the very first question you ask yourself is, what else don't I know? Mm, mm. You know what else has been, is out there and so much part of our history that should have equal standing? I mean, it's a pretty big deal in my mind for children, adolescents, adults in the state of Massachusetts to understand how all of this played out and what role we had and where our values started in terms of something like slavery. And so I think Juneteenth just helps to open up the doors and have more conversations and put more emphasis on let's have a complete history here and not just pick and choose things that make us feel comfortable or that you know, show a, you know, a linear narrative to where we got to, um, because history doesn't work like that. So it passed in the Senate. Um, Do you have a sense of where it is in the House? I don't have a sense of where it is in the House. I know that the co-sponsor in the House, uh, Rep. Sicola, is is working on this. You know, I, I wonder if this might be something that the house might do right around July 8th, right? Mm, right mm. around, you know, that's the actual day. Right. Yeah. Mm. The actual day. Right. Mm. And it would make, mm. it would make sense to me, but, but I don't know where it is. I do know that in the Senate, both these kinds of things and the genocide bill that we passed shows that there is a real interest in really fulfilling our responsibilities to history mm-hmm. and making sure that we're teaching the full spectrum. So, Sean, you knew about Juneteenth because you're a fourth-generation Texan, so that story was one that you knew first, though, as a, as a state story, which is your point about making sure that Quack Walker Day becomes reality and that uh, we know this history in the way that the senator has, has spoken about, that this is a state story and a federal story. Correct. I, I know, I, I always think of Juneteenth as Texas Emancipation Day. Uh, I think of it as it's celebrating a military victory. It's a, it's a time when the proclamation could actually be enforced. Until an occupying army was in Texas, the words of Lincoln didn't mean anything because he was a foreign dignitary. They had left the United States. On the other hand, Massachusetts Emancipation Day is a legal victory. It's the, it's the alpha to Texas's Omega. And you can start to ask the, as Senator Friedman says, what else do I know? And you can start to think, well, if there were free black people in Massachusetts in the 1780s, perhaps that's why Frederick Douglass, you know, set foot in New Bedford. And 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 and, and who were the folks who were there to greet him? Oh, other black people who also were emancipated in the 1780s. And that black middle class in Massachusetts was the fertile ground upon which the abolition movement, which led to the Civil War from the Confederate standpoint, to, to be, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have Juneteenth without Quack Walker Day. Mm-hmm. Now, to be clear, the cases, as we said, were complicated. And the state itself did not declare, as, as uh, might be happening with when Quack Walker Day becomes reality, if it becomes reality. The state did not declare slavery is over. What it inferred from the legal decisions from Quack Walker and some of the others who pled their case in court 
that because of those decisions, therefore, it is. So we had an interesting situation. So at one time, people who lived in Massachusetts, Black people, could be considered property and enslaved. And it also (laughs) were free under these decisions. It's kind of weird. It didn't happen all at once, is my point. It, it wasn't instant. Yes, and 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 that's the and that's the you know talking to uh, Senator Senator Friedman's office when we were looking to get it uh, passed first through that chamber is that came up um, in our conversation and and that's true of all laws, right? The Emancipation Proclamation wasn't enforced in Virginia until Lee. Uh, surrendered in April of 65. That's 1865, by the way. That's right. Clear. 1865, yeah. correct. Right. right. <laughs> so so um, we, we can, you know, you can go back to Supreme Court cases on desegregating schools, right? There's always pushback. Mm-hmm. What was meaningful for Elizabeth Freeman's enslaver was that when Quack Walker won his second case, Elizabeth Freeman's enslaver pulls his case. He was going to go back to court and, and contest her freedom. But once he saw where the juries were, were, were going, he pulled the case. Mm-hmm. Then you go to the Supreme Court, and now more folks are thinking, okay, fine, I see the trend. But the other side that's meaningful to me is that Quack Walker was right. The people in Barrie, Massachusetts, continued to hire him, and he was able to purchase a house. And when he died, his wife was able to stay in that house, inherit inherit that, that wealth that he had gained. His siblings were able to continue to work in Barrie and be paid and to um, gather enough income to move from, his sister at least, to move from Barrie to Cambridge. And then her children were entrepreneurs in Boston and the Lowell area. And then her grandchildren, Quack Walker's sister's grandchildren fought in the Civil War. So while it wasn't immediate as most things aren't, the ripple effect of those Worcester County cases you know, we can we can follow them generation after generation, and we can make those connections to the larger stories and other luminaries that we that we think of just dropping out of nowhere and landing on our history books. But actually, they came from somewhere, mm-hmm. and that somewhere is our history, Massachusetts. So you will be celebrating, no matter I guess what happens with the bill, the second annual Quack Walker Day that you. A commemoration you put together, and this year you have a theme. Yes, our theme this year is Black farmers continue to persevere because Quack Walker was a farmer and he persevered. His brother Prince Walker owned his farm also in Barrie and raised his family on there. And so this is an opportunity for us to share that history and also to talk about the Black farmers that are in New England and in Massachusetts and how few of them there are and what we can do as a greater Lexington community and as a Commonwealth as a whole to support those Black farmers and support Black people, young and old, who might want to get into the, the business. And it will be virtual this year 
because one of our speakers is a dairy farmer from Vermont and it's his busy season. Um, Senator Friedman, last word from you. Well, I just, I think it's absolutely fascinating and it's so easy to get immersed in the details because it really is a fascinating story. While Sean was talking, I was thinking about how there's just continues to be this real gap between what our laws are and what we've tried to do over the centuries in terms of our legal system and other areas to truly address the issues and the consequences of slavery. And yet, I think of Quack Walker, I think of the Supreme Court, I mean, I think of the justice who ruled on this. And yet, for, you know, for the past two centuries, we've made it very, very difficult for Black people in this state to get ahead, to be part of the communities, to be part of the, you know, the leadership, to be part of the decision makers. And so I'm so struck by how, okay, yes, we do have these words in our constitution and we have these legal precedences, and yet we're still trying to to address this stain. I think one of the things that's really important about this story is not only the story itself and not only how somebody persevered and the courage of so many people throughout our history, but how difficult and how hard it continues to be for people to have a seat at the table. And, you know, I think, I think that's what we have to keep working on and we have to keep remembering that we are not done and just Quack Walker was great and this was a really important decision, but we have so much more to do. I thank you both for joining me. Thank you for having us. Massachusetts State Senator Cindy Friedman was elected in 2017 to represent the 4th Middlesex District, which includes Arlington, Billerica, Burlington, Woburn, and precincts of Lexington. She filed the Quack Walker Day Bill, which passed the State Senate in February. Sean Osborne is the founder of the Association of Black Citizens of Lexington. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, produced by Hannah Ubele and engineered by Dave Goodman. Eli Chavez is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening.